Google Stadia goes free-to-play for a couple of months. Cannibal Holocaust, the cult 1980 classic, is getting a video game sequel. And we discuss how P.T. may possibly be the scariest video game ever. That much and more. Welcome to The Average Gamer Show. Happy Thursday, everybody. My name is Rosalcopter, and I am one of many average gamers throughout the world. So I have some great news for you. Um, the Average Gamer Show has been approved on three more podcast platforms. You can now listen to the podcast on Breaker, on Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. All of those links I will provide in a post after the show is done. I haven't had the time to post it today, but they are available on those three platforms as well. So we're available on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. So if uh, you listen to podcasts on any of those platforms, you can listen to The Average Gamer Show there. We have yet to be approved on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. <laughs> oh, some of those names are really good. But um, I am so excited for many different reasons. Um, first of all, I'm just excited to be talking about what we're going to be talking about. Pardon me, I'm just turning my lamp on just to get some better lighting. Um, just a lot of good topics. As you may notice from the title, it's going to be somewhat horror-related. Not completely, because we have two topics that are not horror genre-related, but they are uh, recent news. So we'll go over those, and then we'll get to the good stuff. I just want to thank everybody who's been supportive, who's been watching, who's been listening to the podcast, who's been leaving comments and just overall interacting as a whole. I mean, it. I, I love it so much that you all are just being very um, cooperative and that's that's just, it's just, it's really special to me and I'm having a lot of fun and that's really what's important when you do a podcast is, is if you're having a good time doing it. Like you're not, you're not using it as like a chore or anything. Like it's pretty much the reason why I started doing it is because I'm like, man, that sounds like fun. I want to do it. So um, not a lot of comments um, on yesterday's podcast on Facebook. My mom did comment and that's the only comment we got, which is good. She said she loved Dino Crisis Mom, I know you do love Dino Crisis. You're the one who got me into Dino Crisis, and I thank you so much for it. So I see you are also on board for a Dino Crisis being remade into uh, a, a newer game with better graphics and all that. I know you'd, I know you'd like that. Uh, you love Dino Crisis about as much as I do. But we're not talking about Dino Crisis today. We're talking about many different things. The first two topics are non-horror related. And the last two are pretty much only horror-related. So let's get started, shall we? This, again, this episode might not be as long, but I said that yesterday. And it turned out to be the longest, so we'll see how long this one goes for. But I have a feeling it's not going to go for as long as the other ones. But you know what? I'm just going to say it, and I, I guess I'll just hit my target time again. Okay. Wow. Did I take a breath throughout that whole thing? I don't even know. So the first topic we got, the Google Stadia, which is um, a cloud gaming service. It's, um, I don't even know how to describe it because I don't, I don't use it. It's a cloud gaming service. I compared it 
to being a digital console that you needed um, internet to use, uh, obviously, because if you don't have internet, you can't use a cloud. Go figure. Now, it's a cloud gaming service to where you can play their library of video games um, if you have a good enough internet speed to maintain it. Now, in regards to the two, like the, it's basically a two-month trial that they're allowing you, it, I, I personally think it's extremely dumbed down for many different reasons. People who are going to the two-month free Google Stadia service, one, are being limited to 1080p, 60 frames per second. Now, to me, that isn't really that bad. For I, I still haven't really made the change over to 4K. I've played games on like at 4K, not on not on my screens, because actually my screens don't support it. But that's okay, because I'm completely okay with a 1080p HD quality. Um, a lot of people out there have 4K TVs and they want to play their games in 4K because it looks the greatest. And you know what? I don't blame you, not one bit. So you're limiting a lot of people's preferences to just 1080p, 60 frames per second, which 60 frames per second is my number one thing. But either way, there is a very big reason why I will definitely not be picking up a free two-month trial of Google Stadia, and that is because they're very, very limited game selection to the free users, you are only getting eight games and literally like two of them I know of. The two I know of are Destiny 2, the collection, obviously all of the Destiny 2, well, Destiny 2 and all of the expansions, and then Grid. Yeah, those are the only two games I know of. The other ones are Guilt, it's like G-Y-L-T, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, SteamWorld Dig 2, SteamWorld Quest, Hand of Gilgamesh, Serious Sam Collection, I think I have heard of that, actually. Uh, Spitlings and Stacks on Stacks, in parentheses, on Stacks. Um, that is a very, very limited selection of games you want to play. Because some of those titles I haven't heard of, they actually do kind of sound interesting, like SteamWorld, but I have no idea. Like, I'm, I just don't think cloud gaming is really for me. And the thing is, when the Google Stadia came out, it wasn't really for a lot of other people either. Because they, with their specs, they claimed that if you had a somewhat decent internet speed, you could play any of their games at 60 frames per second. However, there have been multiple, and I mean multiple on multiple reports of that not being the case with many different games like Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, uh, I don't even know. Destiny 2. Um, although I hear Destiny 2 is a little bit more consistent, but it still has problems. I just hear this: the cloud gaming service for Google Stadia just has problems as a whole. And that's just because you're playing an entire video game over the internet. And to me, that just is whack. Does that mean it's just a little bit too late for the Google Stadia, for people to hop on board for the Google Stadia? Um, probably. <laughs> I think it is probably too little, too late for the Google Stadia. But um, 
not much can be done about it at this point. You've damaged your reputation, and so I'm not going to be picking it up. Sorry, Google. Even if you're offering it for free, I just, I don't, like, my, my time is valuable, and I'm not going to waste my time with that. And I don't think many other people are either. But if you want to give it a try, you can go ahead and um, try out Google Stadia free for the next couple months. After that, they say they're going to charge nine, or excuse me, nine ninety nine a month for their basic because they have like, they have uh, what the heck do they call it? They call it like Premiere or something. They have a, a better type of service. But, anyways, that's kind of all I had to say about the Google Stadia free. That actually, that topic actually came to light yesterday, but I didn't really want to talk about it because I felt like it wasn't really worthy. But it was another pretty quiet day. I'm not going to lie, it was, a, it was another pretty quiet day in the community, so I thought I'd include it, especially since more sites were starting to talk about it today. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about was Fallout 76 Wastelanders. Now, uh, here's, here's the thing about Fallout 76. I understand why many people do not like it, and I'll explain why. Well, the number one reason is that it is very buggy, very it's just very glitchy. When you play a video game that is made by a billion dollar company, you expect that title to be well polished, to be well ironed out so that when you play uh that, so that when you play it, you don't come across strange and bizarre things that shouldn't happen. And I'm not going to lie, when I played Fallout 76, I did have numerous problems with bugs. Now, being a Bethesda Game Studios veteran, I've been playing Bethesda Game Studios for over 15 years. Um, I gotta say, I'm not really surprised with some of these bugs because I've seen them before. I've seen them in Skyrim, I've seen them in Fallout 4. Now, the bugs that I haven't seen are the disconnecting from servers, things like that, mainly because this is literally, literally the first time that they've made an online game of any way, shape, or form. And it's because of that fact that it really brought it down for me. But what really brought it down for me again was, honestly, the gameplay behind it. I... It starts off so slow. You get out of the vault, you're pretty much thrown to the wolves, and you kind of get a little bit of an idea of where to go. But if you are a Fallout veteran and you're following like a like a like a quest path, you have a little bit more freedom to go where you want, but there's just no guidance. What you, like what you should do. You you don't really have guidance on what you should do. I feel like if the game tweaked it a little bit to where you were given more of uh, an idea of what you should be doing, then maybe people wouldn't have been as mad um, about how boring the gameplay was. What took me away from it was I didn't exactly know how to play Fallout 76 and have fun with it at the same time. It wasn't until I actually gave it a third chance to where I got past the hump of the difficulty of the game and I actually started to just coast through the game, coast through the levels, coast through the, excuse me, coast through the areas and just 
coast my way into having fun. Now, I'll specifically uh, talk about that for a second. The reason the game starts off so slow is because you don't know what you're doing. You're going to you're going to wander into areas where you shouldn't be going. You're going to try and fight monsters that you shouldn't be fighting. You don't know how crafting works yet. You don't know how repairing weapons is yet. And because of that, your items are going to break. Your armor is going to break. You're going to fight a monster that you have no idea how to fight. And you're going to die. And when you die, you lose like you, you lose your junk, you lose fun, and eventually people just give up. Now, that's why it's slow. It's the learning that's slow. It's not exactly the pace of the game, even though Fallout has never really been a very fast-paced game. It's, um, it's the learning curve. Fallout 4 and other Fallout games kind of introduce you to these things very well early on. Um... And I feel like because Fallout 76 doesn't really do that, it is tough. It's tough to learn. And as soon as I actually took the time to learn the system, to learn what I should be doing, to learn how to take care of my junk and materials, I learned to have a good time with the game. Now, to me, there is a point where after playing the game for 20 plus hours or so, it did get a little repetitive. I'm not going to lie. It got very repetitive. Um, there are daily quests to do, but I've never really been a daily quest kind of a guy. I feel, well, that's obviously how you get caps and junk and things like that. Excuse me one sec. Oh man, I just had dinner and I'm a little gassy. I apologize. Um, but it, the repetitiveness is what kind of drove me away again. And Wastelanders looks like is going to bring me back into it and it may actually keep me in it. Because it looks like it's going back into its Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas roots, even though Bethesda Game Studios didn't make Fallout New Vegas. It's still the type of interactions with other Wastelanders that we've been looking for. Your character doesn't talk, at least not verbally. It's like Skyrim and Fallout 3 where you are given a list of choices of things to say, you click one, and then the character automatically responds immediately. Whereas in Fallout 4, if you pick an option, you your character talks, and then somebody else talks back. Um, which I felt like was kind of a step back. I feel like having a voice in a game is, is kind of cool, but it takes away the RPG element for me. And Todd Howard actually said this very well in 2009 when he spoke at a university, is... A lot of people just don't really care so much about the dialogue. They care more about the gameplay and the action. And he said that what people end up doing is they just end up spamming the button, being like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh, that's where I need to go. Thanks. That's pretty much exactly how Todd Howard put it. So I'm not exactly sure why they did that in Fallout, uh, Fallout 4. But with Fallout 76, um, they're kind of going back to their roots. And so it's, I, I, I think... Having it be like that will be good. Now, if you're on the fence about picking up Fallout 4, or excuse me, Fallout 76 again, like you have it and you just haven't played it, don't want to play it currently, if you want to pick it up again and um, try out Wastelanders, it releases next week on April 14th. Uh, April 14th, 2020, <laughs> after numerous delays. Should have been out by now, 
But um, due to the coronavirus, obviously Bethesda workers were being, um, you know, held back in a sense where they couldn't work as much or there was a period of time where they couldn't work as much because they were trying to figure out things with, you know, working remotely probably. So um, it releases on the 14th. And when I say numerous delays, it was it, it's been delayed from the end of last year to the beginning of this year to April 7th. And then it was uh, delayed another week to April 14th, not too long ago. Now, what people are saying about Wastelanders, like beta players, um, they find a lot of promise in Wastelanders. Um, the, the interaction with the Wastelanders, and they feel like it has a story now. They feel like it is a proper sequel to a Fallout game, or, or I guess in this case, a prequel. So Fallout... I mean, they're basically saying it's the Fallout 5 we've wanted, but, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not Fallout 5. There's no way it's Fallout 5. But the point is, it feels more complete. Now, one thing that troubles me, and it's not going to be a big deal to me because I have a high level enough character, but apparently there's a point in the game where you need to be level 20 to continue Wastelanders. You can create a new character and start playing Wastelanders, but he said that there's enough Wastelanders content to get your new character to about level 9. Um, and after that point, you need to be level 20. And I've never really been a big fan of level barriers. Um, so, I'm trying to find the right words to say here. Having a level barrier really limits the open world experience to me. You can't, like, it's basically saying you cannot do this. And an open world game is supposed to be, well, you can do anything you want. So that bugs me, and I know it's going to bug a lot of people. On the other hand, if you already have a high-level character, or even a character in the teens, you should be good to go. But it's going to be tough bringing in new players um, when you have a level barrier. I'm hoping that by the time these people reach level 9 and hit that level barrier, they'll have gotten used to the game mechanics enough to where they can go off and do vanilla Fallout 76 stuff and not be completely bored out of their mind. That's going to suck because nobody likes diverting from a fun main quest line to do side stuff. Well, I guess that's not completely true. When you're invested in doing a main quest line and you actually want to continue doing the main quest line, it sucks when you're told you can't continue until you do other things. There are a lot of Bethesda games that do that, like Morrowind, but that's besides the point. Wastelanders can bring Fallout 76 back to life. Like, No Man's Sky has kind of been brought back to life. Um, so it should be a good spark of of what Fallout 76 should have been. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen with it. Now, I've pretty much talked about what I personally enjoy about Fallout 76. Um, I love that you can pretty much base your camp or your home or whatever you want to call it anywhere throughout the map as long as nobody else is there and as long as it's not close to a location. Um, I love that, and I, I do love you know building and crafting and things like that people get so creative i feel like i can get creative and 
having that in an open world game like Fallout is really cool, in my opinion. A lot of people don't like it, but I do. So just having that in the game with a good quest line in a big, 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 big map like Fallout 76 has, it had so much potential, but <sighs> with it launching in the state that it did, it's not, it, it just, it tarnished the reputation quite a bit. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, this episode's probably not going to be as short as I thought it was. Or maybe it will be. <laughs> I don't know. But that's pretty much all I got on Fallout 76 so far. I'm probably going to hop into it eventually, before Wastelanders launches, just to get my feet dipped in the water again, and to kind of enjoy... Because, well... To, to kind of enjoy the Wastelanderless Wasteland. Because one thing I did kind of like about not having Wastelanders in the game was this entire map, this entire world is out there for me to discover. For me. Like, there's no other Wastelanders out there. It is only me. And there's only, you know, robots, animatronics, things like that out there. When you bring in Wastelanders, you bring in NPCs, and I don't know, it just gets, in my opinion, it gets a little different. So I might hop into Fallout 76 and kind of enjoy that feeling one more time, and I'll probably be proven wrong in my head and think, wow, why would I ever think that this was better than having Wastelanders? <laughs> um, but anyways, next thing we got on the list here is if you've seen the movie Cannibal Holocaust, it's, pretty, it's a 1980 horror movie that is very Green Inferno-esque. Basically, there's a camera team who is in the Amazon rainforest, and they're basically, they basically run into um, a bunch of cannibals, and it just, it's apparently a pretty gruesome movie. I personally haven't seen that movie. I have seen Green Inferno, though, and if it's anything, well, I mean, what I've read on the internet is that it's very Green Inferno-esque, and I can understand why, because I've read summaries of cannibal holocaust and comparing it to seeing green inferno i'm like okay i kind of i kind of understand that uh basically this movie is getting a sequel in the form of a video game who'd have thought that that's just something you don't see very often is that i mean most movies just get a movie sequel now i'm not going to say it has never happened before because if you look at Alien Isolation, that game actually takes place after the original Alien movie. And it is, um, it's kind of a sequel in and of itself, but it's more of a story that branches out from the original content of Alien. So with Cannibal Holocaust, pretty much saying directly that they are getting a direct sequel in the form of a video game should be pretty fun. And here's a th here's the difference between Green, Green Inferno and Cannibal Holocaust is that Cannibal Holocaust is a found footage film. Found footage kind of was kickstarted around that time and it really boomed especially when Blair Witch came out in the 90s. Um because it added a sense of realism to your horror movies that was unprecedented. See, you, uh, what directors and, you know, producers did initially 
to make people believe that their horror movie could be real is they made relatable characters. They made relatable situations. Like, people thought Halloween in 1970... Uh, oh my god, when did that movie come out? 1978? Wow, I am... So, I, how can I call myself a Halloween fan if I don't know what year it came out? 1978. See, in my head I said 76, and then... I'm like, that can't be right. It's got to be 78. So I was I was kind of right. Anyways, the way they made Halloween scary in 1978 is by relating their audience to the characters. It was a big time, you know, for babysitters. You were staying at home. Well, not at your house. Well, maybe your house. But you were staying at somebody's house or your house babysitting somebody else. While your parents or, or their parents were out maybe all night or until really late. And this big, invincible, scary looking guy walks in and starts murdering. That is what made Halloween scary by making relatable characters. Now, what changed it with found footage, like in Cannibal Holocaust and Blair Witch, is that they made the situation look real because it was in a found footage type of, well, it, it was filmed as a found footage film. So it's a movie practically that if you picked it up from a CD or a tape off the ground and you put it in and you watched it, that was all real. Like, that's what found footage does to scare people, is make it look like it actually happened. Um, now, there are a lot of movies that don't do found footage films right, but there are, there are a lot of really good ones. Like the original Blair Witch was a good one. Um, Cloverfield does it really well by adding special effects in there. And... Um, I just believe that it is a special type of horror genre in and of itself that if done correctly, it can be one of the most scary experiences out there. How do you translate that into video games, though? Because you are constantly the character. And there's no... Well, there is a way you can make the game feel relatable, but... Games are scarier in and of itself than movies because in a game you are the character. You are putting yourself in the mind of this character. You are making decisions for them. You are moving for them. You are doing things as if you were in this person's shoes. It's obviously very different from a movie. So how do you translate that from Cannibal Holocaust from being a movie into Cannibal Holocaust being a video game? Well... First of all, you take the core aspect of what Cannibal Holocaust did so well, and that was make make it found footage again. There are games out there that have done very well as found footage. Outlast is a found footage um, game, very much like um, found footage movies, I guess. It's hard to describe Outlast because it is a very unique idea, but the point is it's found footage. There's a video game, uh, Blair Witch, that is found footage. Kind of. Like, there's a 
there's the beginning that's not very found footage. But the point is, it's more found footage than you think. Um, eh, you know, now that I really think about it, Blair Witch isn't so much a found footage game. But with it being a found footage movie, you can't help but compare the game to being found footage as well. Because it basically, even though you're not holding up a camera the whole time in the game of Blair Witch, the way the game portrays itself to your character feels like it's being portrayed through a camera. Like there are, par- there are portions that are really blurry, really dark. Uh, your flashlight flashes in and out, so you see things that um, could be seen, like through a found footage lens. It's just a very unique way of doing that. And if you bring that core aspect into a Cannibal Holocaust video game, then you've brought in an idea that has been done, but really has only been done successfully. Now... You can't be the game to mess it up because, like I said, there are bad found footage films out there, like the sequel to Blair Witch. Um, Well, the sequel to the Blair Witch Project, which coincidentally is just called Blair Witch. There are bad found footage. Oh, Oh, and Unfriended. That's technically a found footage film. Very bad, in my opinion. There are people who think otherwise, but you can't change my mind. Uh... So, don't be like Unfriended and make your storyline stupid. Because Unfriended's storyline was absolutely ridiculous. Far-fetched. And your characters were so ridiculously far-fetched. I can't even begin to explain. Don't be the found footage game that ruins found footage games. Because nowadays, found footage movies don't have a very good reputation because of how bad they've been. You can't really overlook the fact that found footage movies have been very popular and were very successful previously. So, you have to make it good. And I'm not exactly trained in the ways of video game design, so I can't say in a very complex, detailed way how you can make it well besides the fact that you look at other titles that have done well financially and critically, and you take what they say was good about their games and find out how you can fit it in your universe. Because there may be things from Outlast and Blair Witch that you cannot use in a Cannibal Holocaust video game. So that's pretty much what the developers need to do. That's how you're able to make something like that well now the last topic i wanted to cover over cannibal holocaust movie getting a video game sequel is are horror games following the same path that movies have because there are um it starts off with cult classics you know resident evil silent hill um nosferatu if you if you played that classic game back in the day and then you look at horror games nowadays there are remakes of old horror uh horror games there's um 
it's kind of it's kind of been mainstream for like 10 years or so. Roughly in the past 10 years, you've gotten found footage games. And it's all, it feels like it's almost following the same path that horror movies have. So you can kind of predict what the next good horror game or horror movie is going to be. Kind of. But that's besides the point. We're not here to predict what the future horror games are going to be right now. We may do that in a different episode. We may do that when we have more people on here. But um, just kind of think about that. Ponder that in your mind, how horror games have been following a very similar pattern that the horror movies have been following. I feel like we need a good spark. Like Scream sparked the slasher industry. I feel like we need a spark again. And that kind of that kind of can transition into my pretty much last topic that I have for the day here. PT, or better known as Silent Hills PT, playable teaser is technically what it stands for. It is a PlayStation 4 exclusive that is technically no longer available. There are ways you can re-download it. I'm not going to say whether or not you should, but, um, I did test out said way of it being able to be re-downloaded if you have downloaded it previously. If you have not downloaded PT on your PlayStation 4 or any PlayStation 4 ever, then I'm sorry, you can't do it. And that's very unfortunate because to me, it is, it is literally the scariest game I've ever played. And it was only a teaser. And it's not because it's jump scary or anything like that. It's it's so hard to describe the impact of PT. The only way I can describe it is I need to describe how it impacted the community at first. Okay. The reason PT impacted the community so well at first is because it just spontaneously... First of all, it spontaneously launched out of nowhere on the PlayStation 4 back in 2000 and I want to say 2014 uh, PT launch date. I think it was to that. Yeah. 2014 was when PT uh, launched and it took the internet by storm for many different reasons. The biggest reason is because it was, absolutely so freaking terrifying and it came from a studio that nobody at the time knew nobody knew them because it was first of all it was fake it was not a real company name that they used and the reason is because it turns out instead of making a teaser trailer for a new silent hill game hideo kojima who made the Metal Gear Solid series, partnered with Guillermo del Toro, who you know from many different movies, probably his most famous as Hellboy, and with a main actor like Norman Reedus, they made a playable teaser to a game that they were going to create that many, many people loved. A Silent Hill game. You take, you took four, four 
very big famous items and you put them into one specific title. I remember back in 2014 when I heard about this where an IGN article said Hideo Kojima, the obviously the creator of the Metal Gear Solid series, Guillermo del Toro, and Norman Reedus have partnered up to make a new Silent Hill game. Wow, what a sentence. <laughs> That's what it said as the article's headline. No kidding. Norman Reedus is still very popular today, don't get me wrong, but back then was really when The Walking Dead was super kicking off, even though it had a few seasons under its belt. Norman Reedus was so extremely popular because of how popular The Walking Dead was. It still is very popular, but the point is it was extremely popular back then. And with Norman Reedus being as popular as he is, partnered with Guillermo del Toro, who um, who is renowned for the creation of many different crazy unique ideas in, I, I'd say, I'd, I, yes, in the horror community, but more or less in a darker community. Not necessarily horror, because if you look at Hellboy, it's not not really horror when it comes to Hellboy. It, it It's just darker, if you know what I mean. So, partnering that with Hideo Kojima, who was literally in the process of creating his final Metal Gear Solid game, who he had, you know, trailers for and was growing big popularity at that time because he was releasing his most ambitious title to date, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. All of that partnered together under an IP that needed, it it still needs to this day, it needed a revival of some way, shape, or form. Because the last game, even though I enjoyed Silent Hill Downpour, it was very different than all of the other titles for more than just one reason. It was unique, and I, like I said, I enjoyed Silent Hill Downpour, but I'm a little biased, and I'll explain why here in a minute. But it wouldn't, it, it just was not what Silent Hill used to be. It wasn't. And with PT, with what I played in PT, it was incredible how much I wanted it to be real in a Silent Hill game because that is exactly when I played PT that is exactly what I was looking for in a Silent Hill game so if you don't know what Silent Hill is I'm, I'm kind of going to go into detail on Silent Hill because the reason it's so popular is due to this reason Silent Hill is a horror game based around pretty much it's pretty much based around a haunted town haunted town called Silent Hill the reason it's so popular is because it's not like a haunted town where everybody experiences the same thing. Like if you go into a haunted house and then somebody else goes into that same haunted house like a year later, you may see the same ghost. And this is just speaking from a standpoint where if you believe in ghosts, which personally I do, but um, if you if you believe in that type of thing, then it's not like Silent Hill is it's not like Silent Hill is like a haunted house where you would encounter the same ghost or anything like that. 
the way the best way I can explain it is by explaining the first two games. In the first game, you play as an adult who has a daughter, and your daughter, well, you get in a car crash in Silent Hill, and your daughter ends up going missing. You end up looking for her. You come across a lot of these monsters, and it's always foggy out. And whenever the sirens go off, it gets really dark, and the monsters get even more deadly. Things like that. That is what has been... Cons that's the, really the only thing that's been consistent about Silent Hill, is when the sirens go off, shit goes down. You do not want to be outside, or you don't want to be in a non-secure location when the sirens go off. That's the only thing that's been consistent. Now, that was pretty much just the story of Silent Hill 1. You're a father looking for your daughter, and you come across monsters. You're fighting monsters and things like that. Silent Hill 2... You are going to Silent Hill because you got a letter from your dead wife telling you to go there. That is completely unrelated. Completely. And that's what made Silent Hill so good because it was the possibilities were limitless. You weren't going to encounter the same enemies twice unless, you know, they, the enemies were popular and they brought them back like Pyramid Head. But you could have created so many different kinds of enemies in Silent Hill, and the possibilities were limitless. It's just, you never experienced the same thing in Silent Hill, in any game. They were all different. And that's just what I love about it. Now, when you take a game like Silent Hill Downpour, when it where it changed a lot of the formula, um, by changing a lot of the formula, it didn't a lot of the game didn't really take place in Silent Hill. You were in the town for a bit of it, but really it takes place a lot outside of it. Like in a, like in a prison or uh, like in a quarry area-ish, in a mine. Um, and with that game being the first Silent Hill game that I played, unfortunately, I'm a little biased when I say that I liked it. Because when I played the other Silent Hill games, like Silent Hill 2, which is my personal favorite, it skyrockets above Silent Hill Downpour. But when I played PT, that was even scarier to me than Silent Hill 2 was. And Silent Hill 2 is a pretty damn scary game. But not only was it a scary game, it was... I don't know if fun's the right word... It kept me interested is what it was is, is what it did. You can't have a game where it just constantly scares you. It's got to be interesting. It's got to be unique and interesting. And that's kind of how it impacted me. I knew the playable teaser when I downloaded it, the PT game was a Silent Hills um, demo. And so that's why I played it. And I was expecting to be scared and all that, but to be that level of scared was how it really impacted me to get to the point where I still say it's the scariest uh, scariest horror game today. <sighs> but then, but then, Hideo Kojima had a fallout with the publisher of Silent Hill, Konami, and the game was canceled. I'm still heartbroken to this day that that game was canceled. Imagine having a TV show that you've been looking forward to. Imagine having um, a movie that you were really looking forward to. Like if you were looking forward to see, seeing Mulan for 
the past year and all of a sudden boom it's delayed and you have to wait even longer to see it and that's disappointing and to know that I am never probably never going to be able to play Hideo Kojima Guillermo del Toro or you know Norman Reedus's Silent Hill game is so dis- so disappointing on so many levels that I can't even begin to explain and it's just it's heartbreaking to this day now there is a way you can re-download PT the playable teaser because as soon as Silent Hills was canceled they pretty much like Sony took it off the marketplace because they don't want people playing a teaser for a game that's not going to exist so they took it down if you have it downloaded to your PS uh, PlayStation 4 already then you're good they're not going to take it off of your PlayStation 4 but you can no longer download it again there are ways to re-download it such as downloading certain programs on your computer to connect well basically you connect your PlayStation 4 to your Wi-Fi's IP address with a different serial port or excuse me a different well yeah a different serial port and then that's a way you can re-download it on your PlayStation 4 but that's just so te- like it's so hard to do I did it and I had I like I literally just did it just to see if it worked like before the podcast started and when I f- figured out that it worked I was so happy so happy that I'm going to be able to play it again that's pretty much what I'm going to be doing but kind of the last thing I wanted to say about it is I wanted to compare PT to other games out there which is really hard to do because there's no other game like it and that's why it's so good it's so scary there's just it hasn't been a game that's been quite that scary to me like the suspense build up and just the way it makes you feel bad like you like it like you're the bad guy but um here's the thing i kind of i kind of can't i can't really explain how good it is and i kind of have to show it i'm not going to show it on the podcast here i may show it off in the form of a youtube video maybe i have i i'm debating that if you want if you want to know for sure whether or not i'm going to i should post uh an update on the average gamer show facebook and twitter pages once I, you know, decide whether or not I'm going to. Anyways, now something for that, uh, something that I've watched and something that I've played. Um, something that I've watched. Uh, again, it's really just been Futurama, but I did want to talk about My Hero Academia because I actually am probably going to watch an episode of that or two tonight. It's an anime about superheroes. And if you don't know much about it, that's really much all I can say is that it's pretty much a story about how everybody in the world has some form of superpower and depending on your superpower you may be a really good hero things like that i saw my hero academia in theaters well okay i saw the movie that came out in theaters this past february and i got to say i actually really enjoyed it it was so cool to see the like the big anime fights and stuff like that in the theater I'm not going to lie. So it makes me excited to watch more My Hero Academia on Hulu. Um, that's just something that I've been watching. Something that I've played. I played more Minecraft yesterday. 
And here's the thing about Minecraft. It's more or less a story. I was digging in this cave and, you know, just getting all these resources like iron and coal and things like that. And, you know, I was just walking. I I thought I was deep in the Earth's crust. And I'm walking, I'm walking, and I see some light, and I'm like, oh, is that lava? It looks a little too bright to be lava. And I look, and I look up, and it's daylight. Like, literally, I found another entrance into this cave, which is surreal to me. <laughs> like, I thought it was super deep in the Earth's crust. That's one thing that I love about Minecraft, is that you have no idea where you're going to go, like, where you're going to end up. And so, that's just one thing that I've been playing. I'm probably going to play, you know, some PT like I was talking about tonight. Um, I'm probably going to play some Modern Warfare with my cousin in a bit. Anyways... I don't know about to do it for this episode, everybody. Be sure to give us a like and a follow here on Facebook and Twitter to know when we go live with the Average Gamer Show, um, as well as the latest updates around them, such as special guests, topics, polls, etc. I want to thank you so much for joining me here today, and we hope to see you again next time.